So last week, we uh, looked at the, the integrity of God, that God is, uh, truth, uh, God, God is true. You know, he's authentic, right? And uh, it means that he is real, right? Uh, he's not a fake or, um, you know, he's not, he's not a fake or he's not a uh, counterfeit, right, in any way, but he's true, right? He's real. And also we uh, talked about how the integrity of, integrity of God also it means that God is truthful. He is truthful. Um, not only is he, is God, uh, not only is God as he revealed himself to be, but also things are as he says they are, right? Uh, so, um, you know, it, when we think about the integrity of God, it really has, uh, we have to deal with the idols in our hearts because we have so many other gods that we pursue and we desire. Uh, but, you know, it means that we have to really trust God and look to him. And I think uh, today's attribute, God being faithful, God's faithfulness, is closely related to this, right? The integrity of God, that is the faithfulness of God. Faith of, faithfulness of God flows from his integrity because he's true, because he's truthful, that it only follows that he is faithful. You know, the word faithfulness conveys the idea of certainty or stability. Um, it's like um, you can just imagine like a strong column, right, that would support the, the big building, right? There, there, there are some like really important columns, right, that would hold up the weight of a building. Or think of um, strong arms of a parent, Right, that, that are upholding and protecting his or her newborn child. Right? You know, I have a helpless child. And I've seen you know, some of the, when I go visit uh, you know, the, uh, the parents who just, who've had uh, the, the babies recently, right? and then when they see, uh, when I see them, you know, they're just holding their, you know, if they're in the hospital or whatever, right? can I see the baby? And they will just hold right, their newborn baby. And you know, right, when they're holding their baby, there is just no way, nothing in this world would make them go, okay, it's too heavy, so I'm going to just drop them, right? No, there is no way, right? The arms of the parent that's carefully guarding the precious life that God has allowed them, right? Think of that. That is the kind of, it, that's the idea that is conveyed by the word faithfulness, being certain and stable. And uh, when we talk about the faithfulness of God, it means that he is worthy of absolute trust and that he can, his people can depend on him without any doubt or reservation. Um, now, it, it is important for us to understand that God is faithful not because he does everything that we desire, Sometimes we kind of have that idea, oh, God is faithful. That means, you know, that what we desire, what we want, you know, that God will do everything. No, that's not what it means. Not because he would uh, do everything that we desire, but because he does everything that he has promised. And there is a, there is a slight difference, right? You know, because I used to think of his faithfulness in the former, right? Uh, I thought that it meant when... When, when I heard God is faithful, right, I thought it meant that he's going to do good things for me, right? What I wanted, what I truly desired. God is a faithful God to me, right? 
So he, he should do things that I truly desire in my life. That's how I understood the faithfulness of God. That means, to me, it meant that God should answer my prayers. When I ask, for God, uh, ask to God, when I lift up prayers to God, God, you are faithful, right? So then you should answer my f- uh, prayer, whether it is finding a you know, suitable, help, I mean, uh, you know, uh, finding a wife or, say, looking for a job or getting into school, uh, getting, the, uh, getting into the program that I wanted or whatever, right? I would pray and say, God, you are faithful, right? So you should answer my prayers. Please answer my prayers. That's what I thought. So the faithfulness of God meant that he should do good things as I desired, what I desired. God, this is what I desire, and since you are faithful God to me, you're going to give it to me, right? So at that time, he was little more than a thinly veiled Christian version of Santa Claus to me. And I would get disappointed in God when my, answer, my prayers weren't answered in the way that I really asked God, asked God for, right? And I was like, please, give me this. I want this, Lord. And when I wasn't getting it, I was like, uh, okay, what's happening here? I thought God is a faithful God to me, right? God, how come I am not getting what I want? What a deficient understanding of this truth and the attribute of God. Because I was at the center of the universe. And so naturally, I, I understood God's faithfulness to me. I, I understood God's faithfulness as a faithfulness to me and my needs and my desires. God is a faithful God to me. But when we talk about God's faithfulness, what we mean is that he's faithful to the, all the promises that he has made. And there is a slight difference. Sure, many, many promises of God involve us to redeem unworthy people like us. But they are not necessarily the same thing as being faithful to me, to you. God, when we talk about God's faithfulness, God is faithful to keep his promises. He will be true to his promises. And of course, most of the promise, a lot of promises are extended to us. But that's not the same thing as God, you know, somehow God is somehow bound by, uh, you know, the, bound to us. That's a a little difference there. If our desires and prayers do not line up with its purpose, then they they are not going to be answered in the manner that we ask for. I think because so often uh, our world revolves around us, our needs, my needs, what I want. So that's how we look at everything, with that sunglasses, with that prism, with that lens on, right? that this world revolves around me. I need what I want. So that's why when we even look at the faithfulness of God, it says God's faithfulness means he has to be faithful to me. What I'm asking for, he should be faithful. But big part of our Christian maturity and growth is to recognize 
our propensity to be self-centered. We have to recognize that. So often we interpret everything in a way that we, we want. Selective hearing. Right? All these things. And by, and but, you know, Christian maturity means by God's mercy that we would become more God-centered in our orientation. Right? Not me, myself, and I, but God. How we are to look at everything. How we are to interpret all the things that are happening in our lives, whether we like it or not. And we have to look at it from God's perspective and from God's purpose, not from what we want, what, de- what we desire. It's important to understand that God's faithfulness also implies his omnipotence and immutability, meaning he does not change, right? A God of limited power obviously would be limited in his ability to fulfill his promises. We mortal beings are like that because we are limited that even though we sometimes make genuine promises, but we may, because we are just not able to keep every one of them, that we break promises. A God who is limited would be in the same situation. He may make all these promises, great promises that may sound great and nice, if he's a limited God, if he's not an omnipotent God, that he will not be able to, even though he really wants to, he may not be able to. And when we say God is faithful, it also means that, uh, that God is immutable. He does not change because an immutable God could change his mind about his promises. I don't know about you, but I, I am guilty of it too. Like, I make promises, but you know, after some time, like, oh man, like, it just weighs on me. Because, like, my mind changes about certain things. It means, so there, you, you see, uh, so many of God's attributes are so closely related to each other. We talked about sovereignty of God, the omnipotence of God, omniscience of God, immutability, holiness, righteousness, integrity, the truthfulness of God, all these things that we've been talking about, the, the characters, the, the attributes of God, they are closely related to each other. You cannot just take one apart from the other. They all come together. So how does God prove his faithfulness? I mean, how do we know? When someone says, I am faithful right, to you, would that be enough that just that saying, would that be enough to prove it? No. You have to look at the body of his work, right, or the actions. I mean, if a husband says to his wife, I love you, honey, but he does not show with his actions, it's just empty, hollow words. I remember, like, uh, when I was first, you know, uh, dating Grace, and she was up in Jersey, so it, I was down here, so it's like four-hour drive. And... Um, you know, I, I had to make, you know, I had to show that I was serious about pursuing, pursuing her and being in a relationship with her. So, you know, I would just, um, 
drive up, right? Especially on the weekends, because she didn't have time on the weekdays. And the weekend is pretty important time for the pastor, but I'm like, you know what, but I still have to make time. So I would just drive up a couple times, two, three weekends a month, right? I would drive four hours and then just sing, uh, meet, meet her for like a few hours, and then I would just drive back. That's like eight hours, a precious eight hours in the weekend that I would just devote just to, just to, to see her, right? And then that, I think, uh, spoke volumes, I think. I'm sure, pretty sure. I think we talked about this. Um, so she, she knew that I was serious about this. It wasn't just me just talking, right, saying words, but I kind of proved it, right, with my action, you know? So, um, so how do we know that God, you know, just him saying, I am faithful, is that enough for us to be convinced or know that, that he is uh, that he, he, he's really faithful. Of course, I mean, because he's true, it is, uh, we can do that. But also, he also proves his faithfulness to his people and to all of his creation in different ways. Uh, but we're going to be looking at uh, two today. And the first uh, way that he shows his, or proves his faithfulness is through his covenants, God's covenants. So when the Bible speaks of the covenants between God and his people, it refers to the promises that God has made to his people. It's the commitment that he has obligated himself to fulfill without fail. It is much more than contracts. Like, you know, these days we have contracts, but, you know, even if you are signing and just contract, you know, but you can still, I mean, there may be escape clause, or maybe there is some, you know, maybe you just pay the fine. Even if you just uh, are committed to two-year thing uh, with, uh, with T-Mobile, but, you know, after some time, you're like, this is not for me, and then you can break the, the contract, right? I mean, you have to pay the early termination fee or whatever. There's a, some penalty involved, right? But you can just get out of it. But the covenant, there is no such thing. You know, when I understand God, as a covenant-keeping God, it really moves my heart. You know, in Genesis chapter 15, God promises Abram of a son and countless offspring, even though he's well-advanced in years. He was a grandpa at that time, and he promises him of, of the land. You know, back in uh, Abram's time, the offspring and the land were the most prized, the most precious thing, right? Precious pri- prizes. And then God enters into a covenant with Abram, binding himself to the st- stipulations of the covenant. So what, 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 uh, what Abram does is he cuts sacrifice animals in half and put them on each side. Then a smoking fire pot, and a flaming torch, symbols of God's presence, would pass between, these, uh, the, between, these, uh, between those uh, pieces. You know, during that time, that was a ritual between the parties making a covenant. So what that meant is what it signified is when you pass through those torn animals, uh, pieces, uh, it signified the punishment due those who break the covenant, that's what they would do. They would just go through it and say, I will be cut into pieces if I do not keep this, prom- if I do not keep this covenant. 
So they are actually put, putting their life, putting their neck on the line to say, I am this serious. My life shall be required if I, if I break this covenant. What God was doing there was he was invoking a curse upon himself. Should he fail to keep the, prom, uh, keep the covenant with Abram? You know, when people were making a covenant at the time, they called upon God, the higher authority, the highest authority as a witness, saying, God, you are the witness that if I don't just keep a covenant with this person, may I, and as he's walking through, right, say, may this be done to me. This is how serious I am to keep this covenant. Right? But because God can swear by no higher authority, God is essentially right here in, uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 15 that he is, you know, uh, putting a swear. He's swearing by himself. God's covenants are fail-proof. If I don't keep this covenant, what God was doing at the time with Abram is, may I be cut to pieces. May I be cut to pieces. He had no obligation or need whatsoever to make a covenant with Abraham. What need did he really have? What was he lacking to enter into a covenant with that person? When you make a covenant, it's a pretty serious thing. So you definitely had to have something, some stake in it, some need in it. And yet, still he binds himself to the covenant terms to show that he truly meant it. The promises he has given to Abram, I make sure on my own life, on my own existence, that I will keep this covenant. The integrity of God, as we talked about, makes it really unnecessary because he only speaks and acts in the realm of truth. But for our sake, for the sake of Abram, he binds himself to the covenant. This is, I'm going to show it to you right now. On my own existence, that I will keep this covenant with you. He binds himself to the covenant. And he has kept his covenants all through the ages. One thing that we have to understand is that our God is a covenant-keeping God. He is faithful. You know, um, before the, the, uh, before the nation of Israel was founded in 1948, a lot of uh, skeptics and the critics of the Bible, non-Christians, would say, see, here are all these promises, prophet, uh, you know, the promises given, in, especially in the Old Testament, of that, uh, that there will be a nation of Israel. But you see, leading up to that time, there was no nation. There was no Israel for over 2,000 years. Have you ever seen a people group who was scattered throughout the world, did not have a nation that, could, that they could call home, their own country for over 2,000 years, and then all of a sudden, they come as a nation? Has that ever happened in the history of the world? No. For 2,000 years, the Jewish people were scattered. They were persecuted. And World War II, I mean, they were, you know, you know, the Nazi Germany, they were like trying to annihilate them, completely wipe them off the face of the earth. After going through all of that, 
So some of the, uh, so people were saying, the promises in the Bible about Israel, this is, is bogus, right? God didn't keep his promise. So there is a group of, uh, you know, there is a camp uh, of Christians who explained it as, well, the Israel that, uh, that God was talking about here in the Old Testament, it's spiritual. It, it, God meant it in a spiritual, like the, 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 the Christians now are the spiritual Israel, God's people, people of God, which makes sense, right? That's how some people explained it. But there was another group of Christians who said, no, when God makes a promise that Israel God was, talk, uh, God was talking about was a literal nation, God would make it happen. And they were being laughed at from left and right. Says, you, you, you are out of your mind. How can a, a people that have been scattered throughout, you know, over 2,000 years, how can they come together and make a nation when there are so many world powers that are just jockeying to take more land with imperialism and all those things. And yet, 1948, a miracle, right? A nation, Israel, was founded on their own land in Jerusalem and in the vicinity. God was faithful. And that really uh, emboldened the people who actually believed that there will be literal nation, Israel, God has kept his promise. And look at today's passage too. I mean, what a passage. If you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that day and night will not come at their appointed time, then also my covenant with David, my servant, may be broken so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne, and my covenant with the Levitical priests, my ministers. And actually, there's another passage that we need to look at in conjunction with this, uh, with this one. It's Jeremiah chapter 31. It says this, Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day, and the fixed order of the moon, and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that uh, its waves roar, the Lord of hosts, is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me forever. What a promise. It's talking about the enduring order of the heavenly bodies and how constant the sun, moon, stars, and the earth are I mean, it's been this way. It's been this way ever since the creation. Until this fixed order in the universe is broken and goes haywire, God's covenantal tie with Israel will stand unless sun does not rise, unless the moon does not show up, unless the stars go crazy. His covenant stands with Israel. Once again, Genesis chapter 15. It's being fulfilled. As he references the stability of the cosmos, we see divine guarantees of the stability of God's covenant. Now, today's passage argues from the unbreakableness, unbreakableness of God's covenant with day and night. God has appointed day and night to come at certain times every single day. And this covenant that God has made with day and night 
he's uh, referencing it, to the unbreakable, uh, unbreakableness of the covenant with the Davidic king and the Levitical priests. Unless day and night doesn't come at appointed time. My covenant with the, the king who will sit on his throne forever and the Levitical priest will be with me, serve me for all eternity. I think it's easy for us to only focus on, the, uh, focus on God's promise of a king coming from the line of David, and that's how I, I have seen this, right? But there was a commentator, interestingly, noted that God's faithfulness extended to the Levitical priests, right? At the, at the very end of verse 21, it says, not only the king, but also the Levitical priests. You know, according to Luke chapter 1, 5, can we go to that one? It says, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now here, in this Luke 1, 5, he said, uh, this commentator said, a priestly figure, John the, they're the parents of John the Baptist. Right? Priestly figure, John the Baptist, was a descendant of Aaron on both his father's and his mother's side, meaning he was in, in the Levitical priest line, who is John the Baptist. He was the last significant figure representing the old covenant. He was on the cusp of the new era that Christ would usher in. So God, you can see that even, he said he would not cut off not only the, 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 the king that would just stay, stand, uh, stay in, uh, in the line of David that would just reign forever, but also there will be a Levitical priest that he will not cut off. And God was faithful not to cut off even the line of Levitical priests, even up to the time of Christ, as he has promised in verse 21. God has kept, has been keeping, and will keep his covenants. And the second uh, proof of his faithfulness is the coming of God's own son. The coming of God's own son. The greatest demonstration of proof of God's faithfulness to us is seen in the coming of his only begotten son. From the very beginning, we find promises of his coming and the salvation that he would bring. In the Old Testament time, there are many messianic prophecies. The one who would come, the promise of the coming Messiah that would come and deliver people, his people. Saints in the Old Testament, they were looking forward to that day. They were yearning to see that promised Messiah. They wanted to really see, I want to see this promised Messiah. After thousands of years, all these promises were fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 15, verse 8 through 12 says this. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised show, to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, 
And these are some of the promises. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. All these promises that are given in the Bible, right, by coming of God's only son, they has fulfilled. He stayed true to the promises, promise that he has made. Well, regrettably, the many Jews still are waiting for a Messiah, but the truth is, Jesus is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. He is the culmination of God's progressive revelation that began in Genesis. That I will, you know, even when, you know, um, Adam and Eve fell, you know, God pro- gives them a promise, right? The offspring of the woman will crush your head, speaking to the serpent, right? The promise of the Messiah, the deliverer. And Jesus is that culmination of this revelation. Instead of the law and the prophecies that have been given, the Son of God, when the time was right in His divine time, the Son of God became flesh and came to us as a person that we could see, that we could hear, that we could touch. The only begotten Son came to fulfill the promises that have been given. Until Jesus came, the promise of the Son of David being on the throne forever it really seemed far-fetched, right? I mean, if you look at, I mean, how can one, how can that line continue on forever, right? The kingdoms rise and fall. Kingdoms rise and fall. We have seen many, you know, superpowers, many like, you know, emp- mighty empires, rose, but the day also fell. Maybe people thought maybe it was a hyperbole, or just an emphatic statement. They're not really not to be taken literally. I mean, the kingdom of Israel was destroyed long ago. And they were ruled at the time by the world's only superpower, the Roman Empire. Every insurrection, every attempt to restore the glory days of David were ruthlessly crushed. I mean, the Romans were ruthless to anybody who would just have an uh, you know, uprising. Will God make good on his promise? In verse 21, right, that I will have my king, the line of David, sit on his throne forever. How can that be when they don't even have their own nation? But with Christ's coming, God did, did keep, keep his covenant by establishing an eternal throne through his son. That he was indeed a king. Not only was he a king, he also was a Levitical priest after John the Baptist. Christ assumed the office of the king and of priest. He was a king. As the king, king of kings, he ruled over all. And as exalted high priest, he offered the sacrifice, offered himself to God on behalf of, our, on behalf of his people and mediated the sin that separated us from God. Now, 
Passage will uh, go into details, go into depth about this in the next few weeks uh, during the Advent season, so I'm not going to say anything more. You see, by his coming, even the promises that were so unlikely, that seemed so, you know, this very, like, uh, unlikely, right? A line of David being on throne forever and ever. How can that be when there are so many like nations come and go? But he fulfills it. When Christ becomes the king of kings and the exalted high priest. The coming of Christ ultimately and decisively proves the faithfulness of God. It really does. So what should be our promise? Proclaim his faithfulness. Psalm 40.10 says this. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. The psalmist says, I haven't hidden it. Proclaim it. Let it be known to people. Please do not act like you are in a covert operation. Like, oh, it's my faith and this is all, you know, I have this truth, I have this uh, faithfulness of God in my life that is good. I'm good, Lord. No, he says, proclaim it. Let it be known to, to the nations. Tell people of this. And also, as he's been faithful to us, we are called upon to be faithful to God. And, you know, I mean, um, I'm sure if you really think about it, uh, God has been really faithful. And it is certainly true in my life as well. I mean, when I think about my life, uh, you know, other than obvious, other than God, you know, I know myself, right? How broken, how flawed. Um, there's so many things that are so lacking in my life uh, that, that, that most people do not know. And yet God sees it all. And I know, in a, to a certain degree, the brokenness and the, the unworthiness right, of myself. So sometimes I just sit in it, even this past week, just meditating on it and thinking about it, praying about it. It's like, God, how could you right, receive me as, a, as your child? Like, when I look at myself, there are so many holes, so many unworthy things that I know about myself. So how much more can God see, even more, from his almighty, uh, holy perspective, how unworthy I am? And yet God calls me his own. He tells me that he loves me in spite of all my weaknesses and ugly things in my life. I know Grace knows a lot of it, but she doesn't know all of it, right? Uh, and yet, God still stay true, stays true. For me, like, man, if I really, if I were, <laughs> I don't know if I can really love, my, sometimes I'm like, man, I don't, I don't think I'm that lovable. I don't know how can God stay true, I mean, committed to me. I'm, I'm so fickle. There are so many times when I am not truthful, I, I am not faithful to God, right? I fail God, I let him down all the time. And yet, thinking about his faithfulness, no matter what, He's still faithful because he's faithful to his promises. And once I was outside, and we are outside of his grace, 
but by His grace and mercy. The promises that God has made to His people, I've been included, not because I was better than anybody else, because, not because we were better than anybody else, but by His grace, He has included each and every one of us. For those of us who are in Christ, to be included in that promise that he has made to his people and said, now I'm going to call you my own. You are my own. You belong to me. And this promise that I've made, now it applies to you. You are my beloved. Even though we are not that lovable, to be honest, but God has been faithful. Not because we are so lovable, or not because he's so bound, right? He has no choice but to love us. No, it's not like that. He's almighty God that does not need anything from us. He doesn't lack anything. And yet, he loved us so much that he would extend his grace and he would stay committed to us when we were being so fickle when we were being so doubtful, when we were like, I don't know if you are really there for me. God, how could you not answer my prayers? What kind of God are you? When we were still being wavering and wondering or even just doubting God, he still receives us. He says that you are mine. And there's nothing we can do to stop God from loving us. There's nothing we can do they can make God walk away from us. I am so sick and tired of you. I am so tired of your fickleness. So I'm done with you. There's no such thing. God has been faithful to us when we were, you know, going through the depths and just struggling like crazy. And God will remain faithful until the end. And that's the kind of God we serve. And as we think about that, that would really cause us to come before him and say, God, let me be faithful. Not out of sense of guilt or shame or anything like that, but because God has been faithful to us. It is only natural for us as his people, as his children, to say, God, let me be faithful. I want to be faithful to you. May that be our response. Let's pray. Father, we come to you uh, this morning. Lord, uh, what can we say? but to simply say that you are a faithful God. Lord, we are so undeserving. There are a lot of things that we are lacking in so many different ways and let you down in so many different instances. And we still struggle with a lot of things in our lives. We struggle with our selfishness, pride, habitual sins, the way we relate to other people, lacking love, and doubting you, insisting on doing things our way. In spite of all this, you stayed true to your promise. You have been constant you haven't been fluctuating like we have. You remain the same. 
and you remained committed to us. Not because we were so faithful and not because we were so good at uh, making good on our own promises to you. Whatever the commitments that we may have made in the past. But because you are a faithful God, because you are a truthful God, that you remained true to us. Thank you so much through your covenants and through your son that you have more than enough times proved yourself faithful. And now, Lord, it is only fitting for us, God, to be faithful to you in response to your faithfulness to, to us through your son. So empower us, strengthen us to live a life that is worthy of your, of your calling, that we may be faithful people. Help us to remain faithful. Continue to lead us, Lord, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.